1: Hello, hello, everyone. You are on live with the Real Jenny on Life, formerly the Real Jenny on People and Performance. I am Jennifer Dr. J. Tebow, and I'm proud to be coming to you on the last and final day in January. Today is January 31st, 2011, and it's been quite a month already. Good Lord. I um, have been really uh, pushing my time, to the max, so I have all kinds of people talking to me about what's been going on in politics today. Um, as we know, this month is also hosted, or we've got a chance to see, the State of the Union by President Barack Obama. And there were good messages. There were some interesting visual messages and body languages that I was picking up during that, so I'll kind of briefly chat about that as well. Uh, but also, um, I've been traveling. This month. Uh, This has been a a very, very heavy month for me uh, to be able to kind of bounce uh, back and forth in different parts of the country to be able to listen, learn, take part in uh, different discussions and important things going on with our economy and our potential and our hopeful, very hopeful recovery as a nation and even as a world. So it has been more than a whirlwind. I even slept one night in the airport in Washington DC in Reagan Airport so contrary to popular belief a floor is as hard as a floor can be and i spent um i spent the night um uh, on top of a heater so if you can imagine this for a moment a heater The heaters, they have these heaters. If you've ever been to Washington, D.C., Reagan Airport, they have these heaters that that are kind of on the floor. They're a little bit elevated from the floor, but not by much, maybe by, oh, maybe about eight inches at the most, maybe 12. And there's these heaters that go all along the glass of the exterior um, in the unsecured area, which is if you have to stay in the airport, Overnight, then they don't let you stay in the secured area where you'd love to stay. You actually have to be in the uh, in the unsecured area. However, they have police patrolling and security and all these wonderful things. So it's really not as scary as it may seem. Well, most people would recommend because if you are a friend of mine on Facebook, uh, most people are saying just hey, just go back, find a hotel, relax, and. Everyone had this beautiful vision of what it meant to be stuck for an extra night in Washington, D.C., except for the fact that the reason that I couldn't fly out of the airport was because the weather was so bad. It was bad snow and sleet and just a bunch of nastiness. Outside, the planes couldn't take off on the runway, but even worse, cars just really couldn't drive. So it was so bad in D.C. Like this is one of those, how bad was it? It was so bad in D.C., that even the cab service stopped and i'm like wow you know i've never really heard of cabs you know electing to no longer make money for a period of time so i said it's got to be something terrible out there and the safest place for me to be to not have to sacrifice even if there was cab service i didn't want to sacrifice a cab driver's you know well-being um or my own and which would impact our families i thought you know If I can't just sit in an airport, inside an airport, covered with heat, I was literally sleeping on a heater, so I was warm and toasty. If I can't do that for a few hours, something is really wrong with me, and that would be selfish for me to put myself, my family, and even whoever was driving me to put them at risk so I could go sleep in a hotel for a few hours. So I slept on the floor. Uh, It was a very, very fun experience. And I had some very nice families around me. Uh, so I say to everybody, you know, that it was, it was certainly a, a little learning experience to be able to sleep in the airport. I've you know, been in the airport before, but not having to stay in the airport overnight traveling by myself. And so um, that was fun and interesting. And you go to this whole survival mode of having to negotiate um, if I have to use the bathroom, and this is probably T M I, but oh well, that's the bathroom, that means I have to get up and physically leave my little spot. But it was I was at a heater, which come to find out was kind of a premium spot. So I didn't want to do that. So the survival said, Well, you don't know, you know, to to limit the number of times you may need to go to the restroom, you just don't drink anything and you know, nothing in, nothing out. And so I'm thirsty, but I'm warm. And then I had to turn my phones off. Uh, I had two phones. One went dead pretty quickly, and the other one had, like, one bar left. And so not knowing what may happen and when I could get close to a plug, because plugs were premium, too. Everybody was trying to charge up their their absolutely everything. Now, as as I got close um, to almost losing that battery, I just shut it down. So I thought it was much better just to just have it for emergency and turn it on when I needed it. So it's just it's really interesting how you learn to, to live with your own funk and all of these things for survival mode, although, you know, it's not bad survival when you've got two laptops with you and some phones and all you're just in need of is a plug. So anyway, just, you know, God bless the people in Washington, D.C., Reagan Airport, uh, because they, you know, they did the very best they could. They handed out these blue blankets, So that's how you could identify all those people in the airport the very next day on last Thursday who slept in the airport because they were tugging around a blue blanket. Uh, Believe it to me, I folded mine up very nice and neatly and kept it as a souvenir. I don't think you're supposed to give those back. Um, I don't know if I'd want to use one anyway. But I folded mine up, and I had mine in my suitcase, and I told myself, maybe you can't tell if I slept in the airport, except for the fact that I probably had totally wrinkled clothes um, and, you know, clothes I'd worn for over 24 hours at this stage of the game, so you could probably tell. Uh, But an interesting discussion cropped up on Facebook, and so I wanted to bring that up first, only because it was kind of timely with my experience at the Reagan Airport. Uh, One of my friends posted some information about um, it's sad to see people drinking alcohol um, at 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, for instance, at an airport, and some people jumped up and defended that it was okay at 11 a.m. Some people, you know, didn't. It was kind of the full spectrum of comments. Um, I, I kind of weighed in, and you know, I, being that I just spent the night at the airport, I had the, you know, the experience of having of getting to have breakfast at the airport as well. And when I sat down to have breakfast at 7:30 in the morning, um. There were people ordering Bloody Marys all around me with, you know, true, I guess it's vodka. I'm not quite sure. I, I think it's vodka that goes in Bloody Marys. Uh, but they were ordering alcohol. Some people ordered premium. Some people ordered just the, you know, the, the the shelf or whatever the term is. But I'm just going, it's 730 in the morning, and you're drinking. I mean, they were drinking more than one Bloody Marys. i was like, wow. I mean, I, I didn't realize people actually did that. And lots and lots of people around me, I was truly the minority in having orange juice. You know, I wanted orange juice, and then I had, like, two glasses of water because obviously I was really thirsty after a night of survival. Um, So it just, you know, I'm not going to necessarily say it's, it's sad or it's not. It's definitely not for me to have an alcoholic beverage at 730 in the morning when, in my eyes, my body is asking for some rejuvenation because it's been deprived of liquids for several, several hours, and the first thing I want to put in my body is probably not alcohol. Um, But it it is an interesting state just to watch, really people watch. I got a chance to truly people watch for hours and hours in the airport. Um, What's also interesting is one one of the reasons why I was in D.C. I went to D.C. a a couple times in the past, oh, in the past about 10 days. Uh, The first one, I want to share this trip with you uh, because it really has become an eye-opener for me, uh, which was I attended uh, the Global Employment Forum in Washington, D.C. That forum was hosted by the Gallup organization, Gallup Inc., which is headquartered, headquartered out of Washington, D.C. And uh, the whole purpose of this forum was that they had a tool that they were using to measure um, the relationship between employment and uh, GDP per capita so gross domestic product per per capita. And uh, what's interesting about that metric is it's already measured today, so it's not like it's some revolutionary idea to measure it. But what is um, revolutionary or maybe a little bit more evolutionary about this tool is that today there's an organization called the ILO, and the ILO measures unemployment in relationship to GDP per capita, okay, unemployment. And so the Gallup organization said, well, you know what—it's really a better idea to measure employment of good jobs versus GDP uh, per capita to gain a better understanding of the trending and the direction that a, a country is going, or that or or that we are going globally." And so they have been measuring this in this way, this different way of looking at um, at those two correlations for the past couple of years, and they were ready to unveil this new measurement to the world, to World economists. Uh, I was really pleased to be, be able to get an invite to this exciting forum that talked about their uh, measurement progress. Uh, this is what I found interesting about this forum, few observations that had nothing to do with what they presented. Number one, I'm sitting in this room. Uh, by all accounts, if I had to guess the number of people that were there, maybe about 100, around about, I just kind of quick explanation, Estimation just straight off my head. Uh, if I looked around the room visibly at what I believed to identify ethnicities that were represented in the room, uh, and, and I just mean basically Caucasian versus people of color, so that's really the distinction that the only one I'm really able to make with just kind of broad brush looking across the room. Um, If I had to make an estimation of the number of people of color, percentage of people of color, versus Caucasian uh, people in the room, there's probably less than 10% people of color. And that's not necessarily the Gallup organization's fault or doing or plan, intent, anything of that nature. That's just the reality of who was physically sitting in the room. Um, I'm not quite sure how they made the actual invite. And who declined you know I don't know any of that information, so I'm not making any sort of inference to Gallup, but what I am saying is interesting as I'm looking in the room and seeing less probably ten percent or less uh, people of color. I thought, well, out of these people in the room, who is walking out of this room and going into the people of color communities to deliver this very valuable message and you know and so I felt extremely compelled to talk about that you know in many 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 conversations i've probably beat it up to death talking to different people about uh, that forum but talking about how we can leverage the learnings of what the people of the gallup organization have done because they've done this phenomenal job of of measuring uh well-being really you know correlating the concepts of well-being if you're if you're thriving uh, or if you're suffering, that, that's kind of a scale. If you want more information about um, well-being and all of Gallup's work with well-being, please go to gallup.com, and it's got tons and tons of information out there. Uh, but what I found interesting is is that they measured uh, the well-being of different states of employment. So I want to talk about that. Uh, one state was uh, they measured the well-being of people who were employed by an employer. That's one category. Second category, people who were employed by self. So if you're self-employed, right? Third is if you were employed, I'm sorry, if you were part-time employed but looking for a full-time job. So in that regard, that is people who are underemployed. You know, they they needed more of an employment situation for themselves, and they're looking. And the fourth category is the people who are um, either unemployed, and combined with that is people who are in part-time positions but not looking for full-time work. So those those two groups got put into the same fourth category. And so they measured well-being. And what I found very interesting about their findings is that when they looked at the group that had the lowest level of well-being, so the lowest level of thriving, thriving being the highest level of how you feel about yourself, your life, and kind of where things are going, suffering being the lowest category, so, I looked at the group that scored the lowest to say that they were thriving. It was actually the full time employed for self. And at first, I was like, wow, that you you know, the, what is marketed as uh, being self employed or an entrepreneur is that you can be your own boss and it's the greatest thing in the world. And it is marketed, you know, when the grass is greener on the other side as it's the greatest thing in the world. What's happened, I think, and I believe the reason for that measurement, because I do believe that Gallup got it right and measured accurately the well-being sentiments of those four categories. What I do believe to be true is that we've got a lot of people today who were pink-slipped into entrepreneurship. And that's a very tough position to be in, extremely tough position to be in when you were pink-slipped into entrepreneurship. And so, unfortunately, If you were thrust into this state of being an entrepreneur unexpectedly, then how did you really know what to do to be an entrepreneur? You were really just trying to make do, kind of like I was at the airport. I didn't really know to go sleep on a heater and, and, you know, the person next to me having to get me an extra blanket, that was very nice because I didn't know to go find one first before I found a place to sleep on the floor. You know, so I lucked up, but most people don't luck up in entrepreneurship, and so, you know, you're suffering. You're working very hard, and you're not getting a big return a lot of times on the effort that you're putting in because you may not be prepared for the reality of all that there is for business operation. And so, but the alternative is is be unemployed and no money. At least when you're unemployed, you know you're just unemployed. You you know there's no hope for a check coming from somewhere because you have no job. When you are an entrepreneur, you are hopeful Um, and sometimes we are highly discouraged when you work very hard and those checks don't come in. And so I'm not surprised. But to me it rang very clear how critically important it is to be a prepared entrepreneur. I'm going to take a break for a second, and just just to make a a quick comment about the show, again, this this is the real Jenny on life. If you want to call into the show, you can call in at 347-637-1837. Again, 347-637-1837. And so I apologize for not giving that phone number up front. I am still in my haze of of tons of travel and trying to get it all back on track uh, right before I jump on the road again. Uh, But at any rate, um, so, you know, it was kind of interesting. Now, the other interesting fact and they talked about tons of great stuff at that forum. Uh, great economists, really from all over the uh, world, were there, and they all pretty much concurred on this interesting fact, which is, in order for us as a world, as the entire world, to maintain our current levels of employment and underemployment, vice versa, you know, in order for us to maintain where we are today, to maintain it, we have to create 100 million jobs over the next 10 to 15 years, 100 million jobs. And so from that, I say, wow, you know, create, not just, you know, those aren't jobs that exist today. It is truly create. And we go to President Obama's speech, uh, his State of the Union address, not speech, his address about some of the important things that we need to be focusing on as a country and working together to do. One of the things he talked about was job creation. Because out of that 100 million jobs globally, there's a little chunk, probably a few million chunk, that we're going to be responsible for to, to pull our weight. And so, it's, you know, it's really important. Well, lo and behold, if you understand anything about the just the facts of small businesses, and I encourage you to go to the Small Business Administration website to learn more about, you know, some of the facts about small businesses and the impact small businesses have on our economy, small businesses typically, you know, make or create over 50% of the jobs that are created um, on any given period of time, annually, quarterly, whatever you want to look at. Small businesses generally contribute to over 50% of created jobs in an economy, which means that small businesses are extremely important, extremely, extremely important. I've heard some estimates as high as 70% of jobs are created uh, from small businesses. So, if small businesses are important for job creation, and if economists are saying that job creation is critical to us uh, maintaining where we are today, which is a shaky economy but but we're not collapsed, then it stands to reason that small businesses are extremely important to to everybody. But if if we're expecting small businesses to be an important foundation for us in the future, we've got to improve the way small business owners. Feel about where they are. It's tough to create a job if you consider yourself suffering. Um, How do you get to the point of expansion? And so, uh, you know, it's just an incredible charge that, you know, every city has to improve their relationships with entrepreneurs so that they can foster. Job creation can foster good business growth within small businesses and even good business growth within their their governmental agencies and their entities um, and their school systems. Um, it's extremely important uh, so that they do that, and that's where you see entities like a chamber and you know become really important, important piece to the communication, um, almost like a liaison in the in the business community from small business owners to larger corporations to be able to grow and build together and create those jobs. Um, and and so as many of you know and you may not know, I've been a member of the Dallas Black Chamber of Commerce for a little bit now, uh, but I was recently uh, this month, it's still this month since the last day of the month, I was recently installed uh, as uh, as the parliamentarian Uh, and on the executive board for the Dallas Black Chamber of Commerce. And, you know, that's really important to me to be able to take my energy and, you know, really play a part in the excitement that is entrepreneurship in the city of Dallas. But I tell you all this to encourage you that, you know, the whole reason that I have involvement today with the Chamber is because I demonstrated an interest in in helping entrepreneurs now the dallas black chamber of commerce is particularly focused on uh, black business uh, but whether you're a part of the dallas black chamber the hispanic chamber or just your city chamber whatever it is uh, really as a from a community standpoint if we expect to have things like balanced budgets if we expect to have uh, the appropriate allocation of funds to good programs that help our communities thrive It's really important for us all to be focusing on small businesses, and one of the best ways to focus on small businesses in your community is to be involved with your local chamber. Um, Again, I cannot say enough um, about the resources that are typically available with with most chambers, definitely available with the Dallas Black Chamber of Commerce to allow small businesses to have a good good resource, a good, you know, organizational mentor, um, to be able to kind of grow and thrive and ask questions and learn from other long businesses. Um that's going to be a very important component, probably a silent component that we may not recognize is being a huge help in us really growing and strengthening our small businesses that we absolutely need. We cannot do it without the Black Chamber of Commerce in any in any city. We can't do it without the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. We can't do it without the city Chamber of Commerce. We can't do it without any of them. We've got to do it together. Um, so, you know, I will tell you that, you know, getting involved um, is going to be the key to you being on the important part of that wave and not being left behind. Uh, I would certainly hate 10 or 15 years from now uh, for anybody to not have become involved with the evolution of what's happening in our economy, and you look up and you realize that, that there's really a gap between you and where the rest of the world has gone. So I wanted to bring that information out because um, I think it's really important, and I'm going to be doing some unique things this year um, to be able to you know, bring light and form and function to uh, to all of those concepts of getting access to people, information, and resources. Many of you know that that's kind of my mantra, for many of the things that I do and the reasons why I have been in business will be seven years in in April. Uh, it's the reason why I have part, certain partnerships in my business life. Is It's for the sole intent of creating or connecting people, information, and resources together. Okay, so the other reason that I was in D.C., which was the reason that I got stranded in the airport, was that I went to 1500 Pennsylvania Avenue, um uh, i you know went block about a block away from the white house to um to the us treasury department to the us department uh, of treasury in the cash room which was kind of a cool place to be and to present during the financial literacy and education commission uh january meeting so it was their first meeting of the year and they actually wanted to hear an update about a particular index that I am involved with the development of um, and the growth of that may, in fact, become this great barometer for how we understand uh, children's relationship to money and their understanding of that relationship and connection to the future and their kind of hope for the future and their connection and student outcomes. So uh, that was kind of fun to be able to deliver the first wave of results from that index that uh, that both the Gallup organization and uh, Operation Hope have been working, you know, very hard to develop and deliver to school systems all across the country. And so um, what I loved about, the composition of that room was that uh, people were really engaged and interested because that too, uh, Gal is good at this. That too was a new way of looking at financial literacy. Not so much from the hard cold hard facts of this many people in this community have a bank account or not, but looking at the true facts of you know are there conversations about money at home? Uh, is, you know, does a child have an understanding of how to make? Money uh, do they know how the system works? you know, and so um, that becomes some some much better knowledge that you now can understand a term that I use when I present it, which is called the meaning structures uh, you know what money in financial matters really you know what it means to a child, how they've defined it, so if you can pinpoint that, then you have an opportunity to apply an intervention at that meaning structure to take it from here to there, you know, one place to the other, left to right, but to move them in an evolutionary way that's comfortable so they can make the change instead of having to make some revolution happen with a child and just kind of turn upside down their world. Um, You know, I often said if somebody asked me to become unbanked, you know, to not use a bank, it would take, like, mountains moving and pigs flying and all kinds of things to happen for me to move mountains, you know, for me to become unbanked, for me to say I'm not going to manage my money inside of a banking institution. And as ridiculous as that sounds, that's literally what we ask a lot of people who are unbanked in underserved areas to do. We ask them to totally change their current system of how they manage money and to do it differently. And to ask people to do it without understanding what it means to them in their current system without you know to make that revolution is really irresponsible, so I'm very excited about that index because it allows us to have the right information and not just Gallup and Operation Hope, but you know that's going to be similar to a thermometer that we have in our household in the school system, so everyone would have access to actually use it, but it becomes an exciting tool to better understand how youth, you know, what their economic behavior is and their connection to their economic future is. So that's exciting. Again, it's it's all a part of creating a better future economically so that we don't look at crashes and we don't look at economic strain um, in the future. We've got a lot of good things upcoming. Okay. So just like that, it always happens this way. Um, things happen awfully fast. Gee, I wanted to talk about what's going on in Illinois we have some people talking about crackheads and calling people crackheads and raising their voice and all of that. So I'm going to have to do probably a special segment on that because I really uh, wanted to get one or two people who live in Chicago that kind of could tell me the, the true facts outside of just me reading a report. Uh, there is a, is a video that I'm going to watch, and I'll probably make available as well, at least the the audio portion for the show. So look for me to do that. As well, politics is getting really dicey these days, and I, I just hope that they're very concerned about the outcomes of the community and, and instead of what comes out of each person's mouth in, in a fit of rage, because that's what that one sounds like, in, um, in and the mayoral race in Chicago. So at any rate, I always do, always do shameless plugs, and this is no different. So I have to hold this up. I'm very proud of this. This is Success Simplified. It is my latest book. I have it with Stephen Covey and myself, Picture in the front, Dr. Tony Alessandra, as well as Patricia Fripp, all fantastic people. I'm honored to be featured on the cover of Success Simplified. Uh, my contribution to this book is Lessons from a Sports Mind, so it's very, very interesting. Definitely. Pick up your copy. If you need more information about where to get this, what I think is a great book, not just my contribution, but everybody's, um, please go to JenniferTibault.com, and you can you can purchase a copy, and it will be signed by at least one of the authors, and I'll send it to you myself personally. So that's it for today. I'm glad to be back on track. Even though I didn't hear anybody calling today, I can hear your voices. I can just hear it quietly. So I'm glad to be back in the saddle and back on the regular track. This has been The Real Jenny on Life. Uh, again, today is January 31st, 2011, last show of the month. Looking forward to having some great innovative shows for Black History Month in February 2011. Dial in every Monday at 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. Again, I'm Jennifer, and I hope you have a fantastic day. I'll see you tomorrow for The Real Jenny on Sports.